It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. You're listening to BGN Radio. Brady, back one more time. He goes and fires, and it is intercepted. Intercepted, running with it is Jenkins. Up the near sideline. Cuts back at the 30. At the 40. At the 50. Malcolm Jenkins is going 99 yards. Full touchdown. Radio and uh, no, I'm not going to yell what's going on. Otherwise, uh, Lady Barchard's going to kill me because uh, she's trying to take a nap right now. So, but welcome into episode number one forty-seven. Uh, again, we're going to preview more combine players because we really only touched on just the tip uh, of a lot of the different guys that are, are coming in. And uh, of course, Mr. Ben Natan is uh, is back again uh, with us. What's going on, Ben? How are you, buddy? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, John? Uh, uh, fantastic, as always. Uh, once again, just a reminder: if you are out there on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to us, rate, subscribe, review, tell your mother about it. If you're at a bar, say, "Hey, do you like podcasts?" Mention BGN Radio is out there being your favorite next to cereal. Maybe you like you know Sigmund Bloom, or maybe you like little Josh Norris, and we'll talk to them uh not talk to them but we'll we'll say hi to them because uh they they have shouted out our own ben natan and uh 
a, a lot of it dealing with the wide receivers and how to classify uh, and compare a lot of these players, which I'm very excited to kind of even maybe even get a little bit of a heated debate uh, with Ben uh, about because I know our our wide receiver uh, matchups uh, or our lists look a little different than probably some of the others that are out there. And it'll be interesting to kind of see how we go. Plus, we'll be talking about a lot of the interior alignment, which I think regardless of where we have these guys, if you, if you blindfold yourself and just point at a defensive tackle in this combine and in the draft, really, and you don't pick out probably a top 10 guy, you're not doing your job right. There are so many good interior linemen in this draft. And really, just across the defensive line, I think you can make the argument for that too. But we'll get into that in just a little bit. As just before we came on, uh, the Eagles have now mutually parted ways. I guess that's the language that we're going with here. Mutually parted ways with their uh, college scouting coordinator, which is, I guess, the in-between between that and the director, who, by the way, is also not there. So the Eagles are heading into the combine and really the draft season. This is kind of a little bit unprecedented, too, because why on earth would you let these guys go, you know, just before the combine is going to start here? If these, you know, we'll have to see if they catch on. Maybe it's not that big of a deal here, Ben, but it's a big deal for the Eagles not to have two of the main college guys when, hey, you're about to draft a bunch of college players here in a, in a couple of months. What do you make of this? I mean, at the very least, you have to be worried about it because you question what the chain of command is going to look like and how information is going to get divulged uh, to the to the coaches and, and how that's going to kind of be distributed amongst the staff, especially like you're getting into the meat of draft season. Uh, it's really worrying. So I'm hoping they have a plan in place. The optimistic person in me says they have a plan in place, but it's <laughs> – it's weird. It's, I mean, at, at the very least, it's very strange. And at the most, it's frustrating and, and seems pretty stupid, honestly. Yes, uh, we would like to say this is fine, right? I mean, this is fine. Uh, no, everything's going great. <laughs> and this is the concerns, I guess, when, you know, uh, I understand people's frustration. I know when when it first came around and, you know, there's a lot of Howie bashing. There was a lot of Howie questioning. There was a lot of Laurie bashing. Uh, some, some to extent, like a lot of Doug Peterson stuff that was happening there. But you know, this is the type of thing that you got to worry about. I mean, this doesn't seem whether whether they do have a plan in place, and you would have to assume that they do. Uh, we don't know how. Really, we don't know how strong these guys are to begin with. So fair is fair. I don't know anything about these guys other than that they've lost them, and just everything you've heard with how he needs that strength behind him. They need that core behind them to be uh, kind of you know really good at, <laughs> at picking out these guys. This has been. The so-called weakness of the staff is not being able to evaluate talent properly, and I know we don't. I don't want to go into, you know, a hundred and eighty degree circle or three hundred sixty degree circle, but going back and forth on this. But it's just it. It doesn't look good from the outside. And me saying that probably means they're going to draft like four Hall of Famers, and then everybody can laugh at all these takes and stuff. But it's just it, it's concerning. So close to the draft time that if you were going to make a decision to move on with these guys or mutually part ways or, at, I don't know, just to speculate for a second, like if you're getting to this point and then you realize, yeah, I don't want to do this. Yeah, we really don't want you here either. Why wasn't this decision made before Doug Peterson got here? You know, you have two guys now that have been out of scouting for a year, at least at NovaCare. One guy that lived in Pittsburgh that now is now going to be one of the signal callers here in Howie Roseman. So, and Doug Peterson, who again has a voice in this room, that's a little scary. 
You know, where we bitched and complained about a head coach not having personnel control, and it looks like he's going to be involved there in year one. And granted, they're going to have he's any coach is going to have say in something, whether it's a new quarterback or whatever. Um, and speaking of that, you know, we'll get to that. Whatever, we'll we'll just have to let this thing play out. But speaking of that, of course, you know, I don't know if it's a love letter to Tom Condon to say bring your price down, but uh, Ian Rappaport also saying here that. You know, Doug Peterson looks at Chase Daniel, who's going to be a free agent this year, and doesn't see him as a backup. Sees him as more than a backup. How do you interpret that, Ben? I'm terrified. (laughs) I'm terrified (laughs) by that idea. Hopefully that's just Doug Peterson paying lip service to his former, you know, former quarterback that worked, worked under him, that maybe he's trying to pump him up for a different staff. And he's just, you know, just, it's just good politics. But at the end of the day, Chase Daniel has never been able to win a starting job in the NFL. He's never really had that opportunity. And when he has, uh, in the times that Alex Smith was hurt in Kansas City, he's kind of just looked underwhelming. He's looked like a guy who who can't really operate out of a system. He's not exactly the most physically gifted quarterback in the world. Why would you make that investment? Why would you invest in a guy as a starter when he hasn't shown that at all. So that's it's worrying. Hopefully it's just politics. I, that's what I think it's it is. I mean, I could see that the staff bring him in, but the idea of bringing him into like definitely as a starter, that really worries me. And that makes me kind of it makes me question their evaluation ability. Yeah. Well, between that and the Nick Foles direction and everything else that you've kind of heard oh, whispers God. of, like it's just like, OK, <laughs> You know, I know uh, the last guy got a lot of flack for not having a lot of talent evaluation, but uh, this doesn't look like it's the brighter the brighter side of the grass here. So, uh, well, well, again, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, this is all just brand new stuff. It's February. We've got to wait till March and April to see everything, how to kind of play out. But let's speculate on that because, you know, the combine is coming up. We're going to, as I said before, we're going to go through a bunch of wide receivers tonight. Let's start there because, first of all, look, it's one of the most exciting positions I think everybody talks about. Besides QB, that's where you kind of end up landing after that. Just as overall, an overall, you know, like a love of the position. Uh, if it, more Eagles based, maybe we talk about offensive linemen a little more or whatever. But there's there'll be plenty of time for that. So let's let's do this, Ben. Give me your right now. Give me your top five guys uh, that are that you're including in well in the combine and overall. Who are your top five wide receivers right now? Top five wide receivers. Number one, Corey Coleman. Wow. Baylor. Wow. Uh, I'm, I think I'm standing alone with maybe Josh Norris on that one in terms of having him as the, the number one guy. Number two, uh, Laquan Treadwell. The, that's the popular name for number one wide receiver around the draft community. I think people are really enamored with his size and, and physical, you know, like he's just a very physical player, which I get. Like I, I can see why people like him so much. And then number three is a little bit out of left field with uh, Leonte Carew. Wow. Uh, the, the what, the Rut, the Rutgers, the, Rut, the Rutgers, <laughs> the Rutgers wide receiver. Actually, I think who, Rutgers is right for their football the, program. The so Rutgers right. wide receiver. Yes. Uh, I, I think Sorry, that, Ryan Jones, I, Ryan Jones. I apologize. I know you go there. <laughs> I, I want to, I just want to talk about that for a quick second because I think that Carew is, underrated for a lot of reasons and and I'm talking purely about on the field and because there is he has some big questions to answer in terms of off the field he got suspended for some time this season uh because there was some situation where there was an assault allegation that involved family members and and I I've, I've been talking to people and apparently it's 
it's just a really muddy situation. And I, I, I want, like, I want to find out what actually happened, but just in terms of looking at on the field talent, uh, Carew is easily one of the top five most talented receivers in this class. He's incredibly, incredibly polished in terms of route running, catching the ball, and he's really, really good after the catch. And he has this really weird build, too. Um, he's built, he's 5'11", he's almost 230 pounds at 5'11". So he's built like a running back. He's built like a power back with just really incredible quickness for his size, and it stands out. So I think that when people are maybe diving in a little bit more, they're going to see him and see him pop on the tape. And also something that I like to talk about is touchdown rates. And he actually had one of the highest touchdown conversion rates in the, in the NCAA last season, which is something to keep an eye on. Uh, then at number four is Josh. Well, Doxon. before, before we get to Doxon, and it's, and it's curious cause you're right. I think that's what a lot of people are seeing now. Um, especially with, I guess, you know, people like Ben and guys that, really sit down and look at tape. I think that's why Carew's name has been popping up a lot is because they're finally getting to the tape of him. And the, ver- I mean, the first thing that pops out to me, Ben, and I was very, ca- I didn't realize his vertical was so strong either. So and you look at a guy that's like, whatever, what is he? Six foot somewhere around there. Yeah. He's just a bit below six foot. So he can jump like he's six, five. And that's kind of like, that's a very impressive trait to have. Yeah. Along he's- with- Along with yeah, our, our favorite term, you know, ever is the ball tracking, I think is also a big part of and strong part of his game. Um, but yeah, not a lot of, again, because it was Watkers and that program was awful this year, not a lot of attention there. And, you know, families fight. <laughs> yeah. Know, I we'll have to see what kind of happens there. But, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't judge, especially if it's a, a family fight. I don't think you can really judge on that until like, all, all the things come out, unless there was, you know, whatever, guns pulled and craziness going on there but yeah that's that's the first that's the things i noticed i think that's a lot of people are starting to notice now here yeah and i think i think he's gonna have an absolute ridiculous combine because he looks like a really great athlete on tape and then he, he showed up to the senior bowl uh, he didn't actually participate in practices but he was there for weigh-ins and he got interviewed a couple of times and he he showed up he was totally rocked up I mean, he's he has spent his entire offseason in the gym i think so he, he should uh end up with a pretty eye-popping combine, I think. But after him, uh, number four, I have Josh Doxson, the TCU wide receiver. You know, a guy I've been really high on since last year, uh, actually. He's six, about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, slender build. And that, that's that's what kind of worries me is, is you have a tall guy who's 6'3", you know, but he's only weighing, you know, almost 200 pounds. You know, some people are saying he might end up actually weighing under 190 pounds, which would be very concerning. But he has incredibly good ball skills, a very polished route runner, great quickness for a guy that tall. Uh, the biggest concerns really is there's not a lot of dynamic ability. Like he, he I'm like he's not going to create a lot after the catch, and and there's not blazing speed with him. And there's also the age component where he's 23. He's he's pro, he's probably maxed out as a player. You don't see a lot of guys physically improve. Uh, after the age of 23, 24. But I think when you have a player like Doxon, who's already so polished, it's not that big of a concern. I think you're going to get a good player on day one. Uh, it's not like a situation with someone like Kelvin Benjamin, where Kelvin Benjamin was old going into the draft, and he has a lot of 
uh, you know, bumps and bruises to his game. And you wonder if they're ever going to be able to fix, if he's ever going to be able to fix them because of his age and his bumps and bruises really hurt a team. I don't see that with Josh Doxson. I think that he is polished enough where he's going to end up being a really, really good, solid contributor for a football team. And he's had, uh, you know, some injuries, of course, I think it was, uh, was it a broken leg or ACL? Um, yeah, he had a broken, yeah, I think he had a broken leg really early in his college career. Okay. Yeah. It was, and I remember being a, a pretty severe one. I know a lot of people talked about it. It's one of the reasons why he's redshirted and, Really, I mean, this it is it is different. Even though I was a big KB fan, <laughs> KB fan of him coming out and uh, still to this day, I think I get made fun of before then. I I actually have Josh Doxson higher. I actually have him as the number two guy in this draft. So, and I don't blame you. I don't, I don't blame you at all. I can totally see why you would like him. I, I I like what he is able to do at the catch point is is really special. So I I think that you know, depending on how much you value that, that that could totally end up putting him at number two. Yeah. And I just have a, and I'm not, I'm not much different. I, I kind of have them. I actually have Corey Coleman one, uh, Doxon two, Treadwell three. And I, and I could, I could do, I could do, I could really flip Doxon or Treadwell at either side. I think that's two A, two B. Um, uh, fourth, uh, you know, I didn't, I actually went up a little uh, further with, I did put Sterling Shepard on there because I know that's been kind of the hot flavor, but I do think he has that capability of of really just kind of taking charge of the field, um, even more so than than uh, a, a Tyler Boyd or somebody else like that that's that's kind of in the same, uh, same function as he is. Uh, but who's your number five guy to kind of round that out there? My number five guy, and this is this is probably my more controversial take, is I actually have Deronia Wilson from Mississippi State. Woo. Yeah, I I think that that's not going to you know sit well with a lot of great people with a lot of people, but you know he's six five, he's two hundred and thirty pounds. He can he can really out muscle guys at the catch point. He creates yards after the catch. He has really nice bursts for a 230-pound guy. And honestly, he reminds me a lot of Demarius Thomas. And I think that there is a rawness to both of those players. But if you can if you can deploy them in a certain way, you know, if you can you know, trust them at the catch point or maybe get the ball in their hands on a slip screen or something where they can just, I mean, charge down the field with all 230 pounds of their might, uh, that, that's, a, that's a player who can really – take over your offense for you. And, you know, he has issues catching the ball. He's not a great route runner, but he's also really young and he has, he flashes really dominant moments. So I, I think those splash plays really translate, really uh, pop out to me. And for me, when I see plays like that, I kind of forget about the drops. I think if it's worth it, if you're going to feed a guy and he's going to drop the pass a couple of times, but then give you a humongous play, you know, a couple snaps later, then it's all, it all ends up being worth it in the end. Yeah. See, to, to round out my five, it's because I, I actually don't know a lot about Wilson and that's probably the next guy I'll have to watch there. So I trust Ben in his judgment there. I actually went Braxton Miller at, at five. So I am taking, I'm taking Braxton Miller at five over Michael Thomas because Michael Thomas doesn't belong in a top five. I don't think anywhere. I get it. When you look at it and again, he's been one of the hotter names this draft season coming in here, but uh, I don't, I don't see it. That's why I said a long time ago, uh, when you're looking at Treadwell and Coleman, Doxon, even throw those guys in there you just mentioned, even Shepard, Carew, Wilson, guys like that. I think some teams are going to get attracted to those, whatever I don't know this, I, I, splash plays I guess I'll call them, and they're going to end up passing on the better wide receiver. And I thought that was 
what's going to happen to Doxson. Uh, and it still might. Look, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many teams kind of value value one thing over another. Uh, I don't see it with Michael Thomas. I, th- I think he's going to be a good wide receiver. I don't see him as a first-round pick at all. Yeah, I, and I think, and and uh, we talked about this a little bit before, and I want to just throw his name in there with, with the Michael Thomas name is uh, is Tyler Boyd because I think, and both of them are getting a lot of, a lot of press right now, especially in the small quote unquote small draft, which is draft Twitter. Um, I think that what people do is they watch players and they see, I mean, a certain amount of polish. They see, you know, a guy who's solid route running has, you know, good hands is gritty, you know, quote unquote gritty, quote unquote tough uh, over the middle of the field and makes those like tough grabs. And, and people get really enamored with that type of play and they don't love like a guy like, I mean, and I've seen people say that Michael Thomas is better than Corey Coleman. Um, Stop it, first of all. Yeah, no, I've... Stop it. (laughs) But it's people who get so caught up in those, like, really solid plays and don't like negative plays. And then completely, when they see, like, a player like Corey Coleman drop a pass or, or maybe not go tough over the middle, they completely ignore those splash plays. And I think that's a really backwards way of scouting because... Scouting is all about looking at upside and looking at NFL impact in in terms of future use and also doing a cost-benefit analysis with any player at any position. So if you're getting a guy who has a very small bandwidth of what they can offer an offense, and sure, their, their floor is high, but their ceiling is low, you're not going to be able to really build an offense around that kind of player. But if you have a player who has you know, a humongous ceiling on any given play, a guy like Corey Coleman or Will Fuller or Leonta Crew or Derunia Wilson, a guy who can score a touchdown at any moment. I mean, those are the type of football players that win you football games. And, and I'm not saying that having a chain mover isn't valuable. Having a chain mover is incredibly valuable, but you can't run your offense through that type of player. Uh, you saw that with like the Miami Dolphins this year. And even, even to a certain extent, you saw that with the Eagles this year where you had, you know, the you know, the teams running their offenses through Jordan Matthews, running their offense through Jarvis Landry, who are, were both asked to basically operate primarily out of the slot. And you don't really, you can't really do that unless your quarterback's Tom Brady. So people get so caught up in these like solid players and completely miss the forest for the trees with like guys like Corey Coleman and Will Fuller. Um, and while I think that Tyler Boyd and Michael Thomas are going to end up being good good NFL players because they do have a, like a lot of translatable skill sets. I want to take chances on guys like Corey Coleman. I want to take chances on a guy like Braxton Miller. Uh, I wrote an article back in, it might've actually been August. I have to check the date on it or it was early. It was the first game. Uh, it was the opening game of the season, Ohio state's opening game of the season where I wrote about Braxton Miller. And I said, he is a first round athlete. It doesn't matter if he's a quarterback. It doesn't matter if he's a running back. It doesn't matter if he's a wide receiver. If you put the ball in his hands, he is more dangerous than basically any other player in this class. And that is valuable. And then he, you know, he showed up to the senior bowl. He could, he, and he showed that he can run routes. He shows that he can catch the ball in traffic. Uh, and, and yeah, there's still going to be a, there's going to be a learning curve with him, but he's a special athlete. He's a special football player. You know, once he has the ball in his hands and that, those are the type of players that I want on my football team. Those are the type of players who can score points. Um, and it's, a, it's all about valuation in terms of guys who can score touchdowns over guys who can just move the chains. And if you're building your offense through chain movers, you're not going to score a lot of points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's very true. And that's, 
I think it, yeah, I want to get your thoughts too on on, on Farrell Cooper because I know that a lot of people have kind of brought him up. I don't know if they've actually looked at him uh, in depth. You know, South Carolina junior. And I also want to touch on the again the underclassmen that are kind of coming into this wide receiver class. I think we're getting back to back to back to back spoiled, even though you might not see the huge production. Not everybody's going to be Amari Cooper, but again, it's it's shaping up to be. I mean, it's just for the for days. We were talking about that off air. It just looks like this class and the next one coming in, like there's never going to be a problem to find a wide receiver, uh, which is why, again, I think the Eagles shouldn't be afraid to even take two. I'd take one of the first, whatever, best available player that's that's around there. But uh, your thoughts on Farrell Cooper first, so I want to get into that, because it seems a little small, seems to me like a little bit of a one-trick pony, has kind of gone up and down on a lot of people's mock draft boards, day two, day three guy, somewhere around there. But uh, what do you think of Farrell Cooper? I mean, I will say this about Farrow Cooper is that he is definitely the player you want to draft if you end up missing out on Sterling Shepard, where he can bring that quickness, that speed after the catch, um, not as polished in terms of you know catching the ball, not as polished in terms of route running. Uh, but I mean, he's kind of a he's kind of a lightning rod with the ball in his hands, and, and like I said before, like I, I I get behind players like that, and it's and it's hard hard to evaluate players when they were in such abysmal offenses um and this was kind of like the stefan diggs uh case for most of stefan diggs's career at maryland where he was just kind of hard to evaluate because he like his quarterbacks were so bad and i think this it's a similar case with farrah cooper but he definitely has uh he definitely has the juice as as uh, eric stoner would say so i mean that's a guy that you probably take on you know day two late day two because he's he's going to test really well but He's not as you know, not as polished as you know Sterling Shepard and guys of similar size. Yeah, so uh, you know we'll probably see him fluctuate uh, for a while. And just what I was saying with the with the wide receiver class in general. I mean, it just still looks like, despite the the, the small debates that we might have about, oh no, he's definitely the number five guy overall, right. or whatever. Like I think that's you know it becomes kind of silly and just off season fun talk, but. Um, any any of these guys, day one, two, or three, I think you'd be very satisfied adding to the lineup again. When is this ever going to end? I don't. I, I really don't think it's going to end because, like, I'm looking. I'm looking at the list right now of the wide receivers who who are just showing up to the combine, and you have guys like um, DJ Foster, Will Fuller, Kiaris Garrett, uh, uh, Kenny Lawler, Colby Lissenby, like just like really, really, really talented guys. Rashard Higgins, guys who are who are either incredibly talented athletically or just were super productive in college, you know, or both. Um, and I think when you have the, you know, at the, at the high school level, this starts at the high school level when you, at the high school level, when you have seven on seven leagues running year round in the South, it is mostly the South, but you have seven on seven leagues getting run re- year round. You're going to have so many good wide receivers, so many polished wide receivers coming into the college levels and then you have all these great college wide receivers. And when they get to the league, um, the league is so built around the passing game and protecting wide receivers, protecting quarterbacks, that it, you're just going to get so many guys who are going to be able to produce at, the, at this level of the league. And it's going to be interesting to see if down the line, if that turns into like a wide receiver as valuable as running back kind of thing. Um because there's just going to be so many of them, yeah. but at the like, what I'll say right now about that is, I just 
you got to take at least one guy. Like, even if you have a, a, a great group of wide receivers and a bunch of teams around the league do, you got to just try to take one of these guys because all of them can do something different. And all of them, I mean, and some of them are just like absolutely ridiculous athletes. Um, I would love to see the team actually try to take a chance on Kiaris Garrett, who's the Tulsa wide receiver, 6'4, 220 pounds, does some absolutely ridiculous stuff at his size. Uh, both at the catch point and and after the catch, he you know he's a little bit inconsistent. But we were talking about it earlier. He he makes up for those bad moments with just really really good moments. And he actually and this is kind of gross, but he actually suffered a co- a compound fracture um, midway through his his college career, which is just an absolutely devastating injury. And he's been able to bounce back from it with just absolutely incredible production so that's just an interesting story and it probably says a lot about his character as a player to be able to really bounce back and be such a productive player so i mean that's a that's a, one of my my day two day three crushes in this draft is Kiara scared who's the tulsa wide receiver yeah i think he's one of the more uh i think he's probably the most built guy that i'm looking at as i'm going down the list it was six three two twenty one don't find too many of those guys that are kind of like you know picture, picture perfect mountainous steel type of dudes. So the, that, that, yeah, those are the type of guys you want getting off your bus yeah, type yeah. of players. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. This scare the crap out of the other team, make the DBs start to crumble. Who are like you know five ten, five eleven. And I, I guess with this, let's let's end the end with this at least with the wide receivers. Who do you think is going to be? I don't know the biggest riser of the combine out of these guys, and who do you think drops out of maybe some of the limelight here? Whew. I think that DJ Foster is actually going to end up being a riser because his story is really interesting. He was a running back uh, for a couple of years. He was a big-time recruit at Arizona State, and he got moved back and forth from one running back to wide receiver, and he's a really outstanding route runner. And then once you get the ball in his hands, he's a he turns into a running back, and he has that running back ability in the open field. And I think that he's going to end up testing really well, end up having a really good three cone, you know, good 10 yard dash. He's going to, he's going to look good. I think people are going to kind of get on board with him because I think he's a lot more than just a gadget player in terms of falling out. um, This might be just like a little bit minor, but there's been a lot of talk about, um, about Laquan Treadwell's 40 time. And I think that people are overrating the importance of Laquan Treadwell's 40 time because you're not really drafting him to be a fast guy anyway. You're drafting him to just be a bully. Uh, But Which, by the way, he does very well. Yeah, I mean, he's (laughs) no, he is a bad, he's a bad, bad dude. When I wrote my uh, report on him, I compared him to Evander Holyfield because he's the type of wide receiver who just wants to punch you in the mouth. And, and like, he's... you're not drafting him to be Deshaun Jackson. Uh, and people are going to, I think people are going to overreact to his 40 times. He's going to run like a four, five, five or like a four, six or something like that. And the, the truth is like, he's probably ended up having a really good 10 yard dash, but his 40 might not be great. And people are going to overreact to that. And they're going to adjust their draft boards and, and they're going to look stupid when he starts, <laughs> you know, flexing all over people yeah. a couple months later. Um, in a Raiders yeah. uniform or something. In a Ra- like yeah. Oh my God! If he ends up with across from Amari Cooper, I will be <laughs> I will be sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Derek Carr is going to have fun with that. If that happens. Oh yeah. But, well, and I think that's true. And I think on the other side, of course, you'll hear like, "Well, what was Jerry Rice's forty? Got to remember that, bro." Oh, <laughs> uh, that's How another. How many times <laughs> that happen every year? Uh, every single year. That that is that is every year, and <laughs> and people are just doing it with like completely re- like just bad players. Yeah. 
like yeah. some guys you've never heard of and like oh well, he ran a four seven but so did jerry jerry rice it's like yeah jerry rice was a top 15 pick so like that didn't really hurt him <laughs> but okay. he had Joe Montana throwing the ball no big yeah. deal in terms of like just putting on a show because i'm a i'm a huge combine fanatic like everyone needs to keep an eye on colby listenby because he is the like the best he had the best 100 meter dash in the country um as on the tcu track team so he he could absolutely threaten like four two five type of speed. I mean he's insanely insanely fast. Uh, I'm gonna stick with them. Um, I think that Will Fuller would actually see a rise. Not that he really needs one. I oh, just that's think, true. I think that I, I think he'll go from that uh, maybe like you know early second round, mid second round to maybe le- you know for early for, or late first, mid first possibly. Uh, and I think he takes Michael Thomas's role. I think they kind of just flip flop spots. I really do. Um, but you know, maybe I'm wrong, which normally happens, but I want to switch over to the, uh, defensive tackles here, because like we were saying earlier, it's really hard not to love pretty much a lot of these guys. Uh, and I think you could make the argument for the first five or six off the board, maybe even to the 10 off the board that they could go all in the first round. Honestly, I I really, I really think they could. If it wasn't such a stacked class for that, wide receivers and probably, you know, a thin QB needy for a lot of thin QB needy teams, you could see, you know, Jaron Reed or Sheldon Rankins, uh, Vernon Butler kind of hanging out in that first round. And a lot of these guys are going top 10. But who impresses you the most out of this class if that's even possible to pick out one guy? Well, my biggest crush among the defensive linemen is uh, Andrew Billings out of Baylor. And I've... I've loved him. I, I've, I, you know, in the summertime, I think my first mock draft, I actually had him going first overall to the to the Lions or something. I, I don't know if, where, where he went, but I had him, you know, I had him go first overall because he is what he can bring to a defense is he's basically a car bomb that you set off over the center, and just this incredible, immense strength that just completely wrecks the interior of an offensive line. And we know that nothing destroys an offense more than interior disruption. Uh, and he is the type of player who can bring it. You know, he's six foot one, about 325, 330 pounds. But he can move forward a lot quicker than than your average 330 pounder. And he's just, just strong as shit. And I don't really have another way to describe how strong he is. <laughs> That's I, acceptable he, on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> I, he just is the, and he's rude. And I love what he can bring to a defense. I'm not sure how the Eagles are going to view him because I think he's maybe a little bit more valuable as a, a zero technique nose tackle than he would be at a one technique, but he definitely could play the one technique. Um, but I think he's absolutely one of the best defensive linemen in this class. And then behind him, guys I really like. I'm a big Kenny Clark fan, the UCLA uh, defensive lineman. He's he's a lot more athletic than Andrew Billings. He can play nose tackle. He can play one tech. He can play three technique. He can probably play five technique. Um, just super, super athletic. Smart player, too. He actually reminds me a bit of of a young, young, young Fletcher Cox. And I've been making that comparison since like September uh, <laughs> just because of that athletic ability that he brings to the, the interior defensive line. Uh, he's not as polished as obviously not as polished as Cox is now. Obviously Cox is one of the best defensive linemen in the league, but I mean, if he's, if he, for any reason, 
falls to you know the late you know second round i mean you got to make a move to get that guy because you just i mean winning on the defensive line is all about getting the best athletes uh, along along your trenches and there's a ton of just really really great athletes in this class and a guy who's not getting as much talk and i think really should and is going to rise a lot after the combine is chris jones at a mississippi state um he was a five-star recruit, uh, as, and he made a lot of impact as a freshman. And he was kind of dipped as a sophomore, lost some weight after his sophomore season, and they moved him around a little bit more this past season. And he, I mean, he looks like Muhammad Wilkerson sometimes. And, and when you have, and this is something that people harp on a lot with college defensive linemen, is uh, college defensive linemen, especially when you get up into like those 300-pounders, they're not, you're not going to see maximum effort from all, them all the time and really it just comes down to being logical uh, when you have you know six five 300 pound athletes who are playing 85 percent of the snaps for their football team for free uh <laughs> yeah. they're they're not i mean and i can't really blame them i mean like i'm not in the place to blame them and you see you see these guys who get this like loafing label at the college level. And then they come to the NFL, somebody puts a paycheck in front of them and they start bawling out. And, and I'm, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not even really questioning their character. I just think that's like a, a logical thing is like your, your chance of getting injured at that size playing at that level is high. so high. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock a guy for protecting himself. So when people are saying like, well, I see Chris, Chris Jones loafing so much or too much. And I'm going to say, you know, put a paycheck in front of him. He's going to end up looking like Muhammad Wilkerson. So uh, he he's an absolute devastatingly good athlete. Uh, and after the combine, I think a lot more people are going to be talking about him. But those are probably three of like, quote unquote, my guys. But I mean, beyond that, this class is just absolutely loaded with with people who I've seen mocked, you know, all over the first round. Uh, you haven't mentioned my favorite guy yet, Ben, and I'm very disappointed. And that's Sheldon Rankins, because... I, I, I think that this guy, and I actually thought the same thing, and maybe it's just because we're, you know, we're heavy into the Eagles. I, I looked at him, I saw Fletcher Cox too. Uh, not only that, he's 22 years old. So that is, that excites me. Uh, I, I think that just the ability of him being so just nasty, like there's just every single, and I could say that about six of these guys. And again, it's the same thing with the 300 pounds, the 6'3". Like you're just like, oh my God, I know, I know that there's already a decent amount that's going to be or potentially going to be invested in this defensive line. But if I, I, I'm just, I just kind of think like, why not just create one of the best ever? And I think Sheldon Rankins could be that guy that solidifies whatever, whether he's in the rotation or not. Like he's just one of those. And look, I, I think if you guys you know, put a bunch of the guys from the South that are there, most of this offensive line is from there. So if you get most of the SEC together, and, and have it playing on the defensive line. Sheldon Rankins, is, every time I look and turn on the tape for him, I just get I get excited. And and that's probably because I've only looked at like two or three guys out of here, but still, just from what I've read and seen about the others, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on, on Rankins? Because he's, to me, I, I don't know. I just see, uh, I see a lot of great things. Yeah, so I got a question for the mailbag, I think this week, about saying if there was a guy in this class who could be the next Aaron Donald, who would it be? Yeah, it's and, a great I, and, and and from a you know from a stylistic, I don't think that he's the athlete that Aaron Donald is, which is not a knock at all because Aaron Donald is an absolute freak. But 
if from a stylistic standpoint, I think that you're going to get a lot of Aaron Donald from Sheldon Rankins, where he's just he's winning with like stunning quickness and his ability like, his ability to anticipate the snap combined with that just natural burst and like array of pass rush moves makes him so deadly as an interior rusher. And it's incredible because Louisville actually, in my opinion, had him playing out of place for most of the season. They, you know, they had him at nose tackle for a lot, um, which, and he was still able to be disruptive and be productive from the nose tackle spot when really he should have been playing three technique for the entire season. Uh, and that that should say something about his ability as a player. He showed up to to mobile, and he he just dominated dudes, and he he dominated everyone in mobile. So he's going to be. I'm really excited to see his combine. I think he's going to have an outstanding combine for his size. Uh, and I would absolutely. I mean, I think I had him in the top 15 in my last mock. I think he's he's a really really awesome player. And yeah, if you can get him get him at three technique or one technique, you're oof. Yeah. Man, <laughs> man, <laughs> that's a, if you put him next to Fletcher Cox too. Well, oh. that's what I'm saying. That's why I just start like I'm like, oh my god, I'm salivating. Well, yeah, and I think that's like people, and I don't want to harp on this because although it's kind of like my favorite meme ever, people love to talk about like guards and stuff, and like, oh well, we need to draft a guard at 13. But honestly, like the the first round, in my opinion is you're going to draft quarterbacks and or you're going to draft athletic 300 pounders. Yeah. Whether that's and, on on either side of the trenches I'm guessing. Yeah, and, and honestly if and I mean more tackles than I do guards. Um like you the best athletes in the entire world are NFL defensive linemen. And if you're not getting the best athletes in the world to play defensive line for you, you're not going to win a lot of football games. I mean, you look at the past uh, Super Bowl. They had um, Malik Jackson. They had Vaughn Miller, Demarcus Ware, uh, Sylvester Williams. Like these guys are uh, Derek Wolf. These guys all tested really well at the combine. These guys. I mean, freaking Vaughn Miller ran a fucking four point four five forty yard dash at two hundred and sixty pounds. I mean, that dude. Like that is just. That's that's alien. And then on the other side of the ball, you had uh, Kawan Short, Star Ludele. I mean, just like really, really good athletes in the in the defensive line. And this goes back every year. I mean, teams that are winning the Super Bowl are teams that are able to build these elite defenses. Are you doing so with athletes on, on the defensive line? So if you have an opportunity to draft a guy like that, it doesn't matter what your other needs are. Honestly, it does not matter because, frankly, there's no Aaron Rodgers in this draft. There's no Andrew Luck in this draft. There's no Cam Newton in this draft. So if you if, if it's pick 13 and I'm choosing between Paxton Lynch and I'm choosing between Sheldon Rankins, I'm taking Sheldon Rankins because Sheldon Rankins' impact next to Fletcher Cox is going to do a lot more for the team both immediately and in the future than Paxton Lynch will probably ever have for the team. And and that's that's coming from someone who actually likes Paxton Lynch as a as a football player. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like there, you cannot underestimate the importance of rushing the passer, and, and rushing the passer is the second most important thing in football, right behind having a passer. So if you can get elite pass rushers um, over like a mid tier quarterback prospects, 
Like that's what you have to do. So I'm all for if if there's one of these athletic uh, these athletic 300 pounders just sitting there waiting to be taken at at pick 13. Uh, do it. <laughs> Don't yeah. think about it. Just do it. Well, like here's the other guy. Here's the only guy that I know that has gone back and forth. And look, I think it's just because of the the sugar bowl stuff. But Robert, uh, uh, Jesus, I was fuck up his name. It's Robert Nikamdichi or Kamdiche, or let's just call him Bob. So I, <laughs> as uh, we want to both survive in case we ever meet him on the street, because this is another nasty dude. But you know, there's I guess there's some there's some question marks about. I would say back to when you were saying about. He kind of gets that title of taking plays off a little bit too. Uh, sometimes he's really on, sometimes he's really off. I think it's another guy that if you put a paycheck in front of him, he's going to be amazing. And he was, you know, mock drafted probably as the first guy off the board for months and months and months and months. Then the Sugar Bowl happened, fell out of a window or whatever the fuck happened there. And now, now there's some hesitation there, but I would certainly say he's probably the still the best one or two best defensive tackles that are here. Yeah, and I think the biggest concern with Bob is that <laughs> is that there's an off-field question, at least in my opinion. Um, you really want to know what's kind of happened and, and if he, if there is a drug issue, um, what that really looks like because obviously a guy's well-being is a lot more important than his football ability. Of course. Uh, but on the field, I like people get so caught up in production and they get so caught up in taking off plays with, with these type of players. And I just kind of go back and I look at like a guy like Timmy Jernigan or a guy like Eddie Goldman or Rashid Hageman. These guys all got the same label when they were in college. Like, Oh, they take plays off or they're super inconsistent and one or two years into the league and they're killing dudes. I mean, they look great. And it's just about, these guys, it's all about self-preservation, I think, for for these guys sometimes. And I can't really blame them. It'd be as playing defensive line just wears on your body. Uh, and they're asked to play a ridiculous amount of snaps at, at a college at, at a college level that is so offensively geared anyway. So you got to look at the positives with, with Kim DJ. And it's just he, he does stuff that you just don't usually see from 6'5", 300-pound players people uh, he's insanely athletic and, and just his ability to just fire out of the snap and, and dominate the man across from him i mean even if it happens as a rarity that i mean you're looking at those flashes and you're like i need that player on my football team and and that's going to happen you know people are going to turn on the tape and they're going to see they're going to turn on the alabama game and they're just going to see him absolutely destroy the Alabama God. offensive yeah, no, line. Watch that immediately, actually. By himself. Yes. And, he just, and it's 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 fucking ridiculous what he does in that game. And and then he's gonna show up to the combine in all six foot five, three hundred pounds of his glory. He's probably gonna look like Adonis. Um and some team's gonna be like, we need to draft draft him top ten. I don't even think it's a conversation. And some team is going to take a chance on him. And they're going to get a fire under his ass, and he's going to he's going to dominate the league. Uh, well, here's what I'm saying, Ben. With any of these guys, if you if you have Jim Schwartz here, who looks like the guy that can do that, and everybody loves him, and I'm guessing that the whatever the choir boy narrative that was once here is no longer here, and you want guys just to get in there and kill people, and every single one of these guys can fit in there and kill people, and basically. If, if this is going to be, again, and I know we've talked about it a little before, if it's going to be the possession type of ball offense, old school offense, boring ass, 
draw plays on third and nine or third and 12 or whatever is there, then why not go out and do this thing? You know, why not just stack this thing up as, as best you can possible? Not that I want you to ignore the offensive side of the ball and look, but you know, if Chase Daniels is really going to be your quarterback moving forward or if one of these guys in the late third or fourth or fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, are you're going to try and develop here. The way to compete for the next year is to really, I think is to draft interior linemen in that 13, <laughs> you know, I mean, like if you win in, 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 everybody says this, and if you win on the inside, you're going to win everywhere else. And if you have two of these guys, that one guy that's rotating with Benny and, or, you know, with Fletcher, and then you're running a, a somewhat of a, let's just say, we're, they're going to run a wide nine, right? I mean, there's no question that at some points that they're going to have those, both of those DNs stacked out wide. So why not create the best defensive line ever? Why not do that? Why not? Why isn't that like, you know, I, I maybe people aren't, maybe they're just kind of like, it's a, it's a given. Like there's, we're so focused on the quarterback that why not just build like you were saying, if everybody loves defense so much, if everybody wants to take the outlier in Denver and be like, yeah, let's just do that, then just do that. <laughs> Why not just do that in the first round? That's that's exactly, I think, Ben's point through, through and through here. If you have the athletic guys that are 300 pounds on either side of the ball, take them. Like, I would be, I think if you put a, a gun to my head and you were going to tell me to draft a tackle at 13 or a defensive line or a defensive tackle, I'm taking the defensive tackle 10 times out of 10. As far as this goes, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would. I just think it's it's like the impact is so much greater because when you're like, and I, okay, I'm saying this again as a huge Jason Spriggs fan, I, you know, yes. I did this to Paxton Lynch, and I'm going to do this to Jason Spriggs, is that when you have a, an offensive tackle developing, their development is going to hurt the offense uh, in a way because they're going to have those, those bumps and, and whatnot. But when you have a defensive tackle developing, their high moments are going to be a lot more impactful in order to offset uh, their low moments. And you're not going to really get that with an offensive tackle because basically what you're you're having, and I'm going to steal this from uh, Justice Mosqueda. I don't want to I don't want anyone to think that I'm, I'm making this this thing up on my own. Is you have this um, this creator versus preventer. Uh, dynamic where you have players who are, who are kind of asked to create defense, uh, create plays rather than prevent plays. So when you have a guy like Jason Spriggs, who's who's in that more of that preventer uh, type of position at an offensive tackle, when they have the, his bumps and bruises along the way, it's going to really hurt the team. It's going to hurt the quarterback. It's going to hurt the, the passing game, the running game, um, because he's not really given a position to create offense. Uh, so even in his high moments, you don't really, those don't really like stand out and they're not as productive as when you have a player in a creating position like defensive tackle. Um, their high moments are going to be directly uh, correlating to, to beasting on defense and, and winning on defense, whereas their low moments are, are going to probably be offset by their high moments. And you're not going to get that with uh, offensive tackle. And I think that's a really important dynamic to look at. But yeah, if you're sitting at 13 and you have, you know, Jason Spriggs there, but you also have like Robert Kandike and Kenny Clark and Chris Jones and even maybe Sheldon Rankins there. Like, oh, God, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Don't like don't don't fuck around. Just take the guy that's there. This this is what goes back forever. And I know, look. Everybody's going to throw out the 2011 draft class and say, see, see, this is why you don't reach for quarterbacks when you're in needs. Granted, that's a pretty much, that's a fucking Hall of Fame class that you probably never see. But this is probably a Hall of Fame class as far as defensive tackle goes. I hope I'm not too, being, that's not like a, 
uh, too much of a hyperbole there, but I guarantee you there are two or three guys in here that are Hall of Fame defensive tackles. Yeah, and you don't even have to go back to 2011 to prove this point about the importance of drafting defensive linemen. Um, You can go back to 2014 because you had teams that were – you had the Detroit Lions take a tight end top 10. You had um, the Atlanta Falcons and – you had the Atlanta Falcons take a tackle top 10. And Aaron Donald slipped to, I think it was, pick 13. So all of these guys prioritized other positions over defensive uh, and uh, literally one of the most athletic players to ever come out of college ever um, at defensive tackle. And Aaron Donald looks like the next, like he looks like a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I, I mean, he is already, besides J.J. Watt, the best defensive player in the league right now. Um, and there are 10 teams kicking themselves because they passed on Aaron Donald for, so actually no, because one of those players is Khalil Mack, but, um, but teams were passing on uh, the like elite defensive linemen because they're stupid, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's what it is. They're just stupid because I mean, that is the most, that is the most valuable position in the NFL besides quarterback. Yeah, and and I don't think people understand that because they and look, I although we all say this, and I still agree with it too. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win fourteen games because you're doing this. But when you have a lot of these guys, that's when it matters. Like everybody says, well, you have J.J. Watt and whatever. Yeah, but there's no. They thought there was going to be a one-two punch in Houston. Not really there. And guess what? The defensive line isn't as great as people thought it would be. But you know, it's, and, but and it's again, still getting them to the playoffs. I mean, is, that, and that's the thing. It's like, yes, yeah, like that's like people don't realize that like JJ Watt and um, Whitney Mercilius and Jared Crick. I mean, that's like a really solid group of guys, and they were able to basically spearhead the Texans playoff run. I'll bet it was in a bad division, but I mean, it's not like the Eagles are exactly in a tough division either. So it like, and, and this isn't necessarily just about immediate impact because if you draft like a guy like Sheldon Rankins now, and if you somehow find your quarterback in the next three years, then you have a rookie quarterback paired with just an insane fucking defensive line. And, and like, just get the best players yeah. when you can get them. Don't overcomplicate it. And, and, you know, and I, I keep on talking about, and this is going a little bit off topic, and I keep on talking about Ezekiel Elliott for the same reason. Yep. It's like, if the best player is there, take the best player. Don't fucking take a guard because you need guards. That is so <laughs> stupid. Yeah, especially in the first round. Like, I, I just, I, I want to punch myself in the face every time I see that mocked one way or another. Look, I'm not saying that Whitehair is, is not, it, yeah, that's great. The kid from Stanford, that's great. But there's no way those guys are going to have the same impact and, and neither will Paxton Lynch, sorry, will have the impact that these guys probably will have. It's just, and it, look, and and that's just me judging on a lot of this quarterback class. I've been doing it for a long time uh, since before the offseason started. And that was the one thing that worried me about coming into this thing. You know, we've been talking for 53 minutes and it's been awesome, but I got to remind everybody about Clip It because the combine is starting next Tuesday. That's when everything kind of starts to get in line. If you don't have Clip It right now, you're missing out because this is when we're going to be posting a lot of these things. Somebody's 40 time blows you away. Bang. Somebody goes through the, you know, the gauntlet with the footballs. Bang. We're going to have it up there. If somebody uh, does, has like Mike K's favorite three crone drill. 
bang, it's going to be up there for you. And it's all in the palm of your hand. The beautiful thing about this is if you don't have the NFL Network, because I know there are some people that are out there, you can still scroll through there and see the clips, then make them, share them. There's no need to put up the phone to the computer screen anymore, to the the television screen to get an unfocused picture. Clip It is the best app that is out there. Clip It, uh, at Clip It TV, clipittv.com for more information. It's good for Android. It is good for the uh, the OS. It's in every store. Go get it uh, immediately. Uh, the other thing that I just want to finish up with you, Ben, is uh, I think that, uh, like we were saying, Sigmund Bloom and uh, Josh Nordis had an interesting conversation. And I saw an interesting one recently. I think it was Ben Natan and, and some other people were having a, a conversation, and it made sense. And let me know if you think what you think about this. Corey Coleman at Baylor, and, I mean, they couldn't be more different from a, a heightened size standpoint, but Martavis Bryant with the Steelers, how they could be used in similar ways. Right, right. Tactical, um, it's the tactical value. Right, it's, and, it's, and obviously there's almost like a foot apart in terms of Sure. Heights, but just in terms of screens, yards after the catch, downfield ability, but then also the drops are a factor as well. But to me, those big plays that we know Martavis can create – I think Corey Coleman can create them as well, even though I, I, I can't disagree with some of the, the issues some people have with them. But again, being deployed in the same ways and used in the same ways, I think that the two are alike in that way. And of course, thanks again to them for the uh, the shout out. As Ben has started a trend, now he's famous. He's been on a <laughs> guy uh, a podcast. I'm on a tear. There you go. Uh, but it, it is interesting that we get so locked into body types and we get so locked into I think just how a person looks how a person feels and that that becomes the comparison for more as actually should be what the person could be for a certain type of offense is that the best way do you think to approach the comparisons with players now John I think this is really a lesson for life never judge never (laughs) judge a person by the way they look rather what they can bring to your offense Um, and I think that's important I think especially when you get into players who are more unique in their skill set, like a Corey Coleman, which is what the, uh, what Josh and Sigmund were talking about in terms of my comparison for Corey Coleman. I mean, Corey Coleman is probably five foot nine and 190 pounds. And I compared him to Martavis Bryant, who's six foot four and 225 pounds. So obviously they look nothing the same, but it's important to look at the dynamic that they're able to bring to an offense where there's a, a level of inconsistency to them, but they can score a touchdown at any moment and they can do things as a wide receiver that you probably won't see from 95% of the wide receivers in the league. Um, and, and how you kind of run an offense with them in terms of, you know, getting the ball to them in space, you know, screen passes, take shots down the field with them, um, really just look for the splash play with them and kind of live and die off the their ability to just kind of explode at any moment. Uh, and, and yeah, I think it's important to, to look at players holistically and look at the whole dynamic rather than just looking at a body type. Uh, and, and I think it, it's easier to make those just uh, carbon copy comparisons when you have players who are so... I don't want to say homogenous, but who, who are so kind of normal in terms of, of what they bring to, to an NFL team. But I think another guy you can you can kind of do this with is is Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry is a six foot four, two hundred and 
250 pound scat back. Uh, you know, he's he's gonna he's kind of like a home run threat who looks like he's Brandon Jacobs, and people were like, oh well, he's Brandon Jacobs. It's like yeah. he's not he's not Brandon Jacobs. There's, and, yeah, and, he's and, actually and, bad. Oh what and, what did I say? I'm sorry. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> and you know, Brandon Jacobs was a good player, but in terms of what they're doing as running backs, is totally different. And Derrick Henry is so unique, I think that it's hard to kind of make a carbon copy player comparison with him. You'd really just need to make dynamic comparisons with him. Yeah. I think that's a really good uh, lesson to learn as far as going through and doing that. And look, I feel the way, the same way about Jacoby Brissett. I know that there's a lot of type of different types of people that he kind of gets compared to our good friend, Emery Hunt, who I I got the chills and I was like, Oh man, maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. (laughs) Who described uh, Jacoby Brissett as Nick Foles? I was like, Oh, Oh my God. Uh, Maybe that's just the, a difference in opinion because when I look at him, I see I see Ben Roethlisberger. I see uh, and not again, not necessarily the same throwing motion or anything. It's just the way that he can stretch a play, the way that that his toughness is still, the way he takes shots, that type of thing. Like I I don't know if that's a good a good thing or a bad thing, or I'm just projecting way too high there. But I I, I see that in his game, not necessarily that he is Ben Roethlisberger, but he has those elements to. His game, and if he ever finds it and develops it in a year or two years or whatever down the road, maybe he has somewhat of an impact of that same guy. But, uh, you know, we're going to be rolling through a lot of this. Like I was saying, the Combine starts next week. We'll have our impressions of that. Obviously, we'll still roll through some of the Combine invites. I think finally we will start to get some of the players that are involved with the draft here. We've reached out to a, a lot of different people. And they are just waiting to, you know, they're busy. They're prepping for the combine. It's one of the most important days of their life. Totally understand that. So maybe post combine, we're going to see some of those heads, some of the some of the uh, players that you're seeing on the field are going to join us right here on BGN Radio. But Ben Natan, uh, give us uh, your final thoughts as you're rolling out here, my friend. This is my favorite week of football season. I love the combine. So I'm I'm I love I love watching just absolute freak athletes do freak athlete things. And be sure to follow me at B-G-N-A-T-A-N, and I will have lots of combined thoughts as well as stuff that has nothing to do with football. And if you're, there's any uh, negative opinions that you have with Ben, just be sure to. It's at Brandon Gowton. That's G-O-W-T-O-N. Uh, and, uh, of course, as always, we want to thank you for listening to BGN Radio, episode number 147. I think that's right, 147. So, yeah, 147. Uh, we're going to have, uh, like I said, the combine impressions uh, run the whole game. And plus, we're going to get, uh, we haven't talked about uh, some of the other important positions, like DBs and that ever-eluding strong safety that the Eagles will finally probably need in this defense. So we'll go through a lot of those. But for myself, John Barcher, for Ben Natan, thank you very much for listening to BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. You've been listening to BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Fueled by Duncan Philly and part of the Liberty Broadcast Network. Folks, we have now reached our final destination of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We realize you have a choice in podcasting. We thank you for choosing ours.